Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. I got to tell you, when we started this series, what's in it for me? I thought it was just going to be about, you know, that personal question we always ask selfishly. Hey, what, what, what's this going to do for me? I never dreamed that it had a bigger application corporately for us as a church. Because, guys, I'm telling you, it's changing us as a church. Let me tell you what I mean. Do you know how many in the last two weeks we've had to walk out and to sign up to say, I want to serve? Now, this is not counting those who are already serving. There's an army here already serving. These are just new folks that have decided, you know what, I'm going to serve now. I can tell you, online, this is what blows my mind. You online guys are amazing. We have had a hundred of you sign up to say, I want to serve online which I think is great. Give the Lord thanks for that. We've never done that. We've never done that or given an opportunity online to serve, but man, there's great opportunities coming. And then in person, we've had 174 to sign up to say, I want to serve. I want to do something and, and obey what the Lord is telling me. Now of that group, 174, here's some amazing things. The oldest, 81 years old. Dan, thank you for signing up, man. We appreciate that. Just kidding you. It's 81 years old. And the youngest, 12. 12 years old. And, and a little bit of everything in between. Isn't that cool? Now, here's the one that, that blows my mind. Of those who signed up, one-third joined us in the last year in this church. One-third came to us during COVID. Now, can you believe that? One-third are that new, and yet they're willing to sign up. Can we give the Lord thanks for that? I just think that's amazing. So proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And because I think what's happening is it's changing us, and I know it's going to change you. So let me answer the question. What's in it for me? And here's the answer today. A miracle. I promise you, a miracle is in it for you. You're going to see God do something through your life that you could have never seen if you hadn't said, I'm ready. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to take you to a story today, a miracle story, where that very thing happens. It's the first miracle that Jesus ever performed. Okay? First one he ever did. Now, you would think the first one would have added significance, right? It does. But what's interesting, it was at a wedding. And it's told by one gospel, one gospel only. It's told by John, the gospel writer. And here's what's interesting. There, there's not another miracle that he did that was like this one. Not another one. In fact, there's a phrase that's used in this telling of this one that says, on the third day, that's not used anywhere else in the gospel of John. But when you read on the third day, what does that remind you of? Resurrection on the third day. This is a big miracle. And you know, there are a lot of questions about it. Because it's, it's a miracle that it involved, you know, turning water 
into wine. Now, I just want to go ahead and make you comfortable. I'm going to be talking about wine a lot this morning, more than any Baptist preacher has had to talk about wine in a long time. But it's no problem. It's just the way it is. It's what the Scripture re- records, and I believe it is historical. Every part of this miracle. There's a lot of people who don't think this miracle happened. There, there are those scholars who believe that it was added after later. I'm telling you, it's nonsense. Jesus did it. He did it exactly the way John records it. The only thing that I know, there's no question in my mind, I know where Jesus got the gift he took to the wedding. His wedding gift was purchased in Cana at this store, because I've been to that store. And there it is. It's, it's there. <laughs> that is a little store in Cana. I mean, literally. Cana's real close to Nazareth. You know, if you've ever been to Israel, but it's very close to Nazareth. So you can see how he could be there in Cana with his mom and with the disciples. So let's do this. Let's jump into the story. I'm going to read John chapter 2, starting verse 1. If you've got your, um, a copy of God's Word and on your phone or somewhere, hey, go ahead and go there to the first verse. We'll read the first 11 verses. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. It's the greatest advice you'll ever get. Do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. They filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. They took it to him. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely and are drunk, they have the good wine available. And and you, or excuse me, the poor wine available, but you, you have chosen the good wine to serve now. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. May the Lord bless the reading of his first miracle at a wedding of all places. And I just, there's so many lessons in this and so many things to to understand. Well, the first lesson is, if you're getting married, invite Jesus to your wedding to bring the wine. That's, That's a great reminder. Here, here's the context, okay? So you've got Jesus when his disciples, they're at a wedding, and they run out of wine. And so they somehow come to Mary, and Mary turns to Jesus, and then Jesus responds with something that sounds really rude. It sounds almost crude. But I'm, I'm not here just to defend Jesus. He needs no defense. That language, as we have it in English, does not sound like that when he, you speak it in the native tongue. It was a very common expression. In fact, he said it like three other times. 
That's how he addressed women three other times, and, and his mom, one of them. And it wasn't just in a demeaning way. No, no, no. It was in a way as if he was separating himself for a very special purpose, his hour. What is his hour? When he died on the cross. That was his hour. That was the point of his being here. That's why he came to this earth, to die on a cross for our sin. So he kind of separates himself with that. Now, some scholars believe that Mary went to Jesus. As soon as she found out that him why, she went to Jesus. Because Jesus was supposed to be a guest of hers, but not those 12 guys hanging out with him. So maybe they messed up the invitation list, you know, with all the disciples. I just think it was a moment when... God orchestrated the most incredible opportunity. And Mary's advice was, do whatever he does. What, whatever he tells you, do it. And guess what Jesus did? He did it. He did a miracle. Now, I know you're probably sitting there going, well, that's not that big a deal. It's a party and they run out of wine. Well, have you ever been to a Jewish wedding? You ever, you ever seen uh, Fiddler on the Roof? It's a party. It's a celebration. It lasted. I mean, you know, I'm ready to go after 30 minutes at a reception. It lasted a week, at least a week. It was extravagant. Oh, my goodness, it was an unbelievable thing. And so we don't understand that context, yet that context was very much what Jesus was living in. And so when they run out of wine, there's actually legal recourse the guests could sue the people of the wedding or the bridegroom because they ran out of wine. I mean, it was that serious stuff. And so that, this is this big issue. And naturally, they, they do what, uh, what anybody would do. They just start asking people, hey, they run out of wine. What, can you run and get some or whatever? Well, Jesus, he fixes it. He's really good at fixing our messes. He looks at them and says... See those jars? Fill them up with water. Now, let me tell you what those jars were. Those jars were what we call purification jars. They held about 30 gallons, 20 to 30 gallons. I believe that they were there for one reason, for guests to wash their hands. Okay, so you, if you picture this home where the wedding was, uh, if it was like I had a courtyard, like it was gated, when you come into the courtyard, there would be these two big containers and so what you were supposed to do, according to Levitical law, in order to be ceremonially clean, you dip water, and then you run that water this way. You hold your hands up this way so that it runs down, and that way your hands are clean. And then, believe me, there was a very particular way that you had to wash your hands. And so they were there to wash your hands. So basically, you got hand water, water. You, you've got bath water. And I believe... He told them just to go ahead and finish filling them up, top them off. I don't believe he, he said go empty them and then fill them up. No, no, no. Just top them off. Just fill them up with water. And then he told the servant, go and carry that to the governor or the master of the feast. You know the master of the feast is literally the word governor? It was a guy who was over everything. I mean, he was the MC. He was in charge of it all. Take a cup of that water, bath water, to the governor. When the governor tasted it, he said, this is amazing. Our custom is that you serve the good wine first. 
And then after people have drunk freely and they are drunk and they don't care what they're drinking, then you serve the bad stuff. But you have saved the best for last. And he didn't know where the water had come from that had become wine. Now let me put it in my living room. I'll just use my living room example. Okay? If you're coming over and I'm a little worried about what I'm going to serve you, here's what I'm going to do. Okay, I got First Baptist Orlando Cola <laughs> from 1871. Okay? Not good stuff, but it's, it's cola. If I want to serve you the best, I'm not going with that. And what Jesus said was, take the wine to him. When they took the wine, he tasted it. And for me, it would be, that's Mexican Coke. That's Coke made in Mexico using cane sugar. That's the best. And so, the best was last. When custom was, you do it the other way around. You serve the good stuff first. This miracle says they, it went like that. Let me tell you why. No matter how good that was, this was better. That represents the religion of the day. That represents all the Pharisees, all the laws, all the traditions. And Jesus came along and said, let me show you something better. And when Jesus serves, he serves the best. And they tasted a new wine that had come from the Father above. And so for me, oftentimes we spend our life drinking this stuff. And we never realize the best is when you taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord has the best. He is the best. There is this metaphor that's happening in front of their eyes of the old system, the old way, the old religion, and now the new. And so for me, it would be kind of like this. They saved the best for last. And so when they did that, everybody had a wonderful time, and the, the governor was pleased, and everybody was pleased. So what is it that we learn? Because this is an incredible miracle, and most believe that the reason it is the first miracle is because it gave Jesus a chance, literally, to show them why he had come. He had to come to replace what was old, what was not effective, and he had replaced it with what could only be life-changing, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, what are the lessons? I want you to write these down. They're, they're very simple, Okay. Number one, there's a place for you. There's a place for you. It amazes me that at one of the most important times in the life of Jesus, meaning his first miracle, do you know who actually was used to make that miracle happen? We don't know their name. They weren't the disciples. It wasn't his family. They're called servants. And those servants were used by him. He just simply told them, dip some water up, take it to the feast, the governor of the feast. They dipped it up, they took it to the governor of the feast, and it turned into wine, and it was an unbelievable moment. So guess what? 
It's not about who you are, it's about what you do. Jesus uses people, he doesn't use just positions. These were servants. We don't even know their name. But they did what Jesus said. Can I just tell you today, there's a place for you in the kingdom. There's a place for you in God's house and in, with, among God's people. There's a place for every one of us. You're probably thinking, yeah, but I'm not anything special. Neither were they. But that's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He uses all of us. And there's a place for all of us. The second lesson, do whatever he tells you. Just do whatever he tells you. It's just as simple as that. Do whatever he tells you. Now, can I just tell you that that had to be difficult for them. I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but here they are. And I'm, I'm saying the cup that they took was something like this. I don't think it was a, a big cup. I just think they were to dip up some of that water, take it, and to show the governor of the feast that they had some new wine in town. All right, here we go. They dip it up. What are they dipping up? Bath water. They're dipping up water that every guest has washed their hands with. They're dipping that water up, and they're supposed to take it where? To the governor or the master of the feast. How many of you think that as they were walking, they kept looking at them? I mean, would you not question this? Would you not have a momentary pause and go, I don't know if I can do this. This is this is water. I mean, this is nasty water. And I'm going to take it and give it to him? Well, if this goes wrong, I'm done. I'm through. I mean, I'll never serve at another, you know, I don't know, were they catering company or whatever? Well, they were done if it didn't work. Here they go. They're walking. And they're just saying, I, I'm going to do what he says. You ever felt that like that? You ever felt like, you know, I don't think I can do this. I'm not sure I have the talents. I'm not sure I have the ability. I'm, I'm not sure I'm smart enough. I'm not sure that, you know, that I've got enough experience. But I don't know. He said do it. I, I'm going to do it. Can I show you something? I pray you never forget this. Saying yes is your best. Saying yes is your best. I know it's not as good as others. I know your best may not be the best. Listen to this. In the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, God said, to obey me is better than sacrifice. They had all elaborate sacrifices that they would offer him, but he just simply said, I'll make it simple for you. Just obeying me, saying yes, is better than all that stuff you do for me. I ran across, across this quote by S.D. Gordon. Your best may not be the best, but if it is your best, it will be God-blessed and always reap a harvest. I mean, let's be honest. Our best may not be the best. I know there are better preachers. I know there are better pastors. I know there are better this or better that, but that's not the point. I'm going to give him my best. And so walking with that cup, they were just simply giving their best. And look what happened. God blessed it. And God transformed it. So I just think it's a picture of what he wants to do in every one of our lives. So remember, do whatever he says. 
And the third lesson, and the last one, obedience comes before the miracle. Obedience comes before the miracle. You see, we always want to see the miracle first. We always want, well, I'm not going anywhere until this changes. Until it's wine, I'm not about to give it to the governor of this feast. We want to see the miracle first, then we'll take it. You remember when the children of Israel had been led out of Egypt, and now they're about to go into the promised land. They had to cross a river, the Jordan River. And you remember what Joshua, in Joshua chapters 1 and 2, God tells them, go ahead and start walking, and when you, when you get ankle deep, I will part the water. Now, could God have parted the water before they ever put their foot in it? Sure. And how many of us would have been begging for that? No, God, we're not walking in that water. You go ahead and part it, and then we'll walk in the water. I would have said, hey, is there another way to do this miracle? Yes, there's another way to do it. Jesus just had to say the word, and there's wine everywhere. That's not how he did it. He showed us a lesson through some servants. You will never see the miracles in your life until you obey what Jesus says. I know you want them. I know we asked for them, but I beg your pardon. Don't you be asking for a miracle you're not willing to take a step of faith to obey him. That's when you will see it. You know when I think the water turned to wine? I think the water turned to wine when they started walking. I think the water turned to wine when they started walking. And I don't know if they saw it. I don't know if they knew it was happening. But I think that's when he did it. So what I always say is never judge what you can do until you see what he does. Because to them it looked like water. To them it looked like bath water. But to the master of the feast it tasted like wine. And I promise you, your act of serving, your obedience to Jesus today, yes, it may look like water to those around you, but it's going to taste like wine. We have a, a family in our church who moved to Central Florida even before I was here, moved back in 2002. And when they came, they started looking for a church. And they weren't really sure, you know, where they needed to be, but they were looking, and, and, and they came and visited here. And she was pregnant, the mom was pregnant, uh, and they had one little girl already. And so they decided to come back a second time to this church. And she wrote me an email telling me about that visit. She said, when we came back the second time, we dropped our daughter off, and the teacher got down on her knees and looked our daughter in the eye and said, Emma, I'm so glad you came back. She was three years old now, okay? The daughter was three years old. I was overwhelmed, the mom says. In a church this size, she remembered a three-year-old who had visited her class just once. Well, I just walked away and said, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of, and we never went to another church. And then this is what she says. So, a three-year-old Sunday school poured out water to us. We were new in Orlando. We were without friends and without connection. She poured out water to us, but it tasted just like wine. 
I know that teacher didn't think that was a big deal when she got on her knees and welcomed that child. I know there are things that you are going to do that you think, oh, that doesn't look like wine. That's water. You just do it and let him do the turning of water into wine. He's the miracle worker, and he takes what you offer, and he does incredible things. And one of the things he does, others believe because of it. You realize somebody's watching you. You realize people are watching you. And when they see your obedience, when they see you do something, that does something to them. I, I'm going to show you a verse in this miracle we just read. I, I'll be honest. <laughs> this challenges me. I mean, I'm, I struggle on how, to, how did this happen or, or why did this happen the way it did. Let me show you. This is verse 10. This is the first of his signs. By the way, John only calls the miracles signs. And he only records seven of them, which is kind of interesting. The reason he calls them signs, Matthew, Mark, and Luke call them actual mighty works. The reason he calls them signs is because in every miracle there was something pointing to something greater. They're signs, just like a sign out on the highway. They're signs. Watch this. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Now what is interesting to me is his disciples believed in him. So that miracle of turning water to wine and all of a sudden his disciples believe in him. But what did they believe when they followed him? What did they believe when they left their nets? And he said, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. They didn't believe everything yet. And what amazes me is that some servants, in a simple act of obedience, did something. And the result was his disciples believed in him. I promise you, when you serve, somebody is going to be inspired by what you did. And it's not that they believe in you. No, no, no. They believe in him. Your serving is a witness to people you may never realize the impact. And so today, I think he's calling us. And I think he's saying, start walking. And so let me ask you, first of all, is there anyone in this room or online that you don't have a relationship with Jesus? I, I can tell you the walk you're going to take is to him. Because, like I said earlier, he's the best. That's why the psalmist said, oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. You will never be disappointed. Never. And I want to invite you to put your faith in him, to believe in him, and to believe that he is God's best for you. There's nothing out there better. God sent his best in Jesus. And he's there for you. And so I want to just pray with you. In fact, in the room, online, if you would just simply find in your heart these words, Jesus, I believe you are the best that God has given to me. And Jesus, I believe. And I will follow you the rest of my days. Thank you, Jesus. You see, I just believe you tasted new wine. And once you taste the new, the old will never be, never satisfied. 
There's nothing better than knowing Him and living with Him. Now, let's talk about what you do now. Whatever He says, do. Whatever He says, do. Do it. So today, we're going to have another opportunity to do that. In fact, in just a moment, we're going to start walking. And we're just going to say, Lord, all right, here goes. Now, I want, to, I want you to do something with me. If you didn't have a cup like that to dip up that water, that old nasty, dirty water, you take your hands and do it just like this. If you're online, I want you right now, wherever you are, cup your hands together just like this. In the room, would you do this with me? Just, just cup your hands. Now, I want you to look at that. I want you to look at your hands. Go ahead and admit, Jesus, uh, what I have to offer looks like water. It looks like dirty water. But then tell him this. But Jesus, you can make it wine. Jesus, you can make it wine. I give it to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.